growing up, my family prayed um, at the dinner table. We also prayed every night uh, before we went to bed. We had this little song that we sang after we, we prayed, and um, I continued that with, with my kids. If you ask them, I'm sure they'll sing it to you. Um, but it's just a, something that my mom had picked up uh, when she was a kid, and it just kind of fit us, and so it's part of our, our nighttime ritual. It was part of my nighttime ritual, but I have to confess that the moment that I, I learned how to really pray, I mean really pray, was in the car before I went into the dentist. <laughs> because that is a scary thing for a suburban kid growing up in the 70s, going to the dentist. I was so afraid I was gonna choke on all the stuff that they put in your mouth, you know? Because at that time, they had this fluoride stuff and they had these trays and they would put them in on the top and the bottom. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, but you get the top and the bottom at the same time in order for it to be efficient. You couldn't do one at a time, you had to do both. And then they stuck that thing in your mouth that sucked out all of the saliva that invariably happened because of all this junk that's in your mouth and you're arguing with it and you're losing, <laughs> and, and it was a scary thing, and so every time we would walk into the dentist, my mom would be, okay, should we pray about this? I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, I think we should, <laughs> kind of a thing. So Jesus uh, became very real to me in the chair at Dr. Hunt DDS. I'm just saying that's kind of where I learned how to do that. <clears throat> As I've gotten older, um, I've had the experience and wonder to see God move through prayer. So what, what started um, out of fear <laughs> really became kind of this lifelong sort of journey in prayer. And now um, I look back and I can see how God has been teaching me all along. And I think sometimes we need to tell those stories when we see God when we see God move uh, through prayer, when we see what he does. Um, it's, a, it's a word that we use in the church called testimony. We need to testify to the things that the Lord has done. So there's a woman in our congregation. She happens to be sitting up front uh, today. Her name is Vivian. And a couple weeks ago, she was in the hospital um, because she had some uh, uh, circulation issues and uh, some, some blockages in, in her legs. And so um, Lisa and I went up to her room one Sunday afternoon, and uh, after she had been admitted, I think it was like on Friday or Saturday, but we went up and um, visited with her for a little while, and then we prayed. And uh, I found out on Monday afternoon that when the doctors went in to uh, scope out the problem, there was nothing there for them to scope out. Praise God, right? Now here's the thing. I can't prove that there was a miracle there. I can't prove that, but I don't need to. I choose to testify that God moved in answer to prayer, right? And sometimes we need to do that. I can't necessarily prove it, but you see one thing and then you see the other and go, I wonder. Don't wonder, say yes. This is something that, that God did. And uh, I'm thrilled that she's here with us today and she's able to do that and move around. She's getting along great on her walker and it's, it's awesome to see. 
But I think sometimes we have to choose to acknowledge that God was being merciful. And um, I think that we need to testify to his goodness. How about we do this? Let's default to testifying to his goodness whenever we, when we pray about things. But here's the question. When did you learn how to pray? Where, when was that moment? Where, where have you seen God do some things where you're like, hey, this prayer thing, there's something to this, when, where you've, you've just recognized that for whatever reason, God chooses to partner with his people through prayer. When did that happen for you? Now, most of us, I think, learned the same basic prayer, okay? I think I can say with a certain amount of um, confidence that you and I learned the same simple, basic prayer. Help! Right? I think sometimes we forget that that little prayer by itself is a big one, as long as you're directing it in the right in the right direction, if you're directing it heavenward. But that idea of help, we learn that at some point that we need uh, something bigger than ourselves to help us out. So think about it. Um, was there a moment where prayer be- began to make sense to you? Now, some of, some of us who are gathered here, I know, because I've talked to you about it, that you know the exact moment. And, and you can talk about it, and you can testify to the fact that, hey, this is the moment when prayer became real. Now, there are others of us who we're still in process, we're still learning about prayer. I, I, would, I would say that I'm still in that category. There are things that I'm, I'm still learning about partnering with God when he wants to do something. And some of us are, are wondering um, when God's going to answer their big prayer. Because you all have a big ask. There's that thing deep down in your heart that you're really hoping for, that you're, you're really praying for. And maybe you've asked, and maybe you haven't asked, but you wonder when God's going to answer that one. And there are some that are not sure about this whole prayer thing. It's like, well, yeah, I hear people talk about it, but eh, I don't know. Maybe it's for me, maybe it's not. And then there are others who are open to the idea of prayer, but there's a certain caution, and, and there's a timidity to it. Because oftentimes to ask is a risk, isn't it? Sometimes there's a a big risk when you ask. Because here's the interesting thing, is that sometimes the things that we pray for, what if God says no? And then the other risk is, what if he says yes? And both both of those can be a risk. And so there's a certain amount of timidity, and so eh, maybe I won't pray about that. I believe that if you're here, you want to believe that prayer works and that God actually answers it. I believe that. I think that if you're here, if you're in church, that there's this idea that, that there is a God of the universe and that he has some interest in humanity and, and that you believe that that prayer actually works. And so today we're going to explore an example of prayer. It's in John chapter 17. As you know, we're making our way through John's account of the uh, death and resurrection of Jesus. We are looking at the final days of his life. Um, He's spending time with his disciples. He's doing a 
significant amount of teaching at this point in John's gospel, and we're trying to understand some of the things that he is conveying uh, to his men. <clears throat> He's also, I, I want to say, not just teaching, but also encouraging them even though they don't need, know that they need encouragement. Has that ever happened to you? If you've got kids, you know what this is like. It's like, you know, this thing's coming up, you're gonna need some encouragement even though they don't know if they need encouragement. And I think God is doing this for his disciples. I think, he's, he, I think Jesus is, is speaking to them in a way that prepares them um, um, to, to leave, for, for him to leave. I think he's prepping them for that. And so in, in this part of the story, um, they've been spending time together in the upper room uh, sharing, I believe it's a Passover meal, and they're getting ready to leave their accommodations. And just before they leave the room, Jesus pauses. And he begins, uh, or uh, uh, John describes it this way. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. So picture this, right? He's with his disciples. They've eaten together. A series of events have occurred. There's conversation that's going on. There's teaching. There's encouragement. They're getting ready to leave, and he stops. And he looks heavenward, and he prays. I think this is significant because he prays before the imminent life-altering altering events that are going to occur. So here's a pro tip, okay? You might want to write this one down. You should too. If you've got a life-altering event that's coming up, you might want to pray about it, okay? <laughs> it just makes sense. But here's the other pro tip, because there's another part to this. Everything might be a life-altering event, okay? So keep that in mind. That's why I think Paul talks about pray unceasingly because every moment of every day might have some kernel of life-alterating material in it and you probably ought to pray about those things. Now, what's interesting to me is that as he pauses, as he's getting ready to leave this place, he pauses, where does he start his prayer? Well, obviously, there's a certain amount of worship here in the fact that he's, he's talking, uh, talking to God, but then he turns his attention, and I want you to see this. This is John 17, 6 and 9. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me for they are yours. He prays for his disciples. I mean, that's, that's an amazing thing. He recognizes that um, the events that are most likely gonna take place, I don't know if Jesus knew how they were gonna pan out or not. I don't know, the text doesn't tell us that. But I think he does know that this group of men that he's been with are going to need some kind of encouragement and they're going to need the Father's presence in order to, to deal with all of this, and so he starts, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the entire world. I am stopping, and I am looking at this group of people that you've given me, Lord, and I want to pray for them. I want to lift them to your presence because they're going to need you. And for what? What does he pray for them? And here it is. 
I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. My prayer is not that you would, that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. (laughs) So Jesus stops, he lifts his disciples up, but he prays for their protection. Because I think prophetically he understood that things were <laughs> were going to go very, very um, difficult for all of them. Their faith and their resolve would be tested over the next several hours. And then he thinks about them in their ministry beyond. It's not just getting through the death, but then they're also going to need to be protected after the resurrection. And of course, we've got the benefit of being able to read all of this. Read through the book of Acts, and you can see all the things they've done and some of the stuff that they suffered. Yes, they needed that kind of protection, and Jesus thought about that in advance. And it's so encouraging. I mean, he understands what they might need, and he prayed for it. And and here's, here's a third pro tip. It's always a good idea to pray for protection. Always. It's just smart to do because I think God cares about those things so why wouldn't we pray about it I really appreciate Jesus care for his disciples and 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 there's a there's this there's this part of me that that just says like you know if John stopped right there if Jesus stopped right there and John stopped recording it there would be a certain amount of encouragement to this And we could say, oh, that's great because Jesus cares about his disciples. But what's so fascinating to me is that Jesus doesn't stop there. He continues on. And I want you to see this because I think this is a big deal. My prayer is not for them alone, his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So not just this generation of disciples, but subsequent generations of disciples. And that includes you and me. Because they gave the message and somebody believed. That person who believed gave the message and somebody else believed. And down through 2,000 years. And the reason why you're sitting in church today is because somebody believed and told somebody else. That's a pretty awesome pedigree. Would you agree? And so here we are because of that message. And what's so fascinating is that Jesus prayed for us too as subsequent disciples. Not generation one, but generation 2000 and some odd. Whatever it is. I want you to think about that. Jesus prayed for you. Don't don't let that thing slip by. Because, because it's so easy to do. It's so easy to just continue to read in the text and not let that sink in that Jesus thought about you. My friend Kevin, who um, pastors the Cushing Church of God, made this observation recently. I just find it profound. He said, if we believe God is active always everywhere, and we do, we believe in this thing called provenient grace, if you're a Wesleyan, that God is always active in every part of life. He says, if we believe that, then we have to believe that God is also active in our future. I was like, oh man, that is so good. Why didn't I think of that? Man, that's just profound. 
And he's active in our future. And, and, and we see that in the text because Jesus prayed for us. And so if back then he prayed for you now, guess what? He's thinking about your future as well. And he's active there just as much as he was active here in our passage. He prayed for you. So Jesus looked through the ages and he prayed for you. Not one of a faceless mass or a crowd. The divine sees you. You. All of you. He knows you by name. And he's very interested in your life. Enough to pray for you. Of course, the question is, are you listening to what he's saying? And how will you respond? That's the question. This chapter 17 of John is, uh, is called the High Priestly Prayer. Scholars have looked um, over the centuries and they've said, look, Jesus is acting like a high priest here. And he's praying for the disciples and for future generations. He is interceding for his followers as a high priest would on behalf of the people of God. So he's, he's got an, almost an office here. Jesus is facilitating a relationship between humanity and God. That's what a priest would do. God would, uh, a priest would stand in that, that gap between mankind and God and try to facilitate that relationship. We see this throughout the, the Old Testament in, way, in the way that the, uh, the temple was, uh, uh, was operated. We can see this. And here Jesus is doing the exact same thing. He's trying to facilitate this relationship. And the important thing to remember, he still is. He's still a high, high priest, and he's still trying to facilitate the relationship that human beings have with God. I, I want you to listen to what Paul writes to the church in Rome. <clears throat> in chapter 8, he says, uh, he writes, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then um, is the one who condemns? No one. No one can condemn. Then he writes this, Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So what he did on earth, he is continuing to do in the heavenly realms. God didn't stop or Jesus didn't stop being the high priest. He is still that, and he's still doing the same thing for you. So when he was back then praying for his disciples and future generations, now he is uh, still in the heavenly realms doing the exact same thing because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? And so we can see this continuity that's going on, and Jesus is actually praying for you. He is standing in the same place. He's standing in the throne room of God 
taking up our prayers and interceding for us on behalf, on our behalf to God himself. So this is why I think it's so crucial for all of us to try to find time to be with God and to connect with Jesus. You wonder why we talk about being in the presence of God, this is it. This is why. I don't want you to miss out on the intercession that Jesus does for you. Don't miss out on that. I don't want that for you. And you can keep this in mind when you pray. When you sit down and pray, and look, I know you, you stumble over it, and, and I know that you don't think it's good enough, and you just wonder if your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. I know you, all that because you know you're wretched at this, and, and you don't really know how to pray. And, and it, but here's the thing. You don't have to worry about it because Jesus intercedes on your behalf too. And trust me, he's much better at praying than you are. But you still have to pray. I think this is an important thing for us to remember that when you, when you sit there and you don't know what to pray and the circumstances are that rough or the decision that difficult or that relationship driving you that crazy, whatever it happens to be, that Jesus is standing in the throne room of God saying, yep, I got you. It's okay. You know, stumble your way through it. It's gonna be fine. Jesus is praying for you. And if that's the case, then we can, we can actually follow what the writer of Hebrews put to us. Chapter four, listen to this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, right? Paul just told us that. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. Well, of course not, because he was a human being and he suffered horribly at the hands of other human beings. So whatever you've suffered, he does understand. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Verse 16, chapter 4 of Hebrews. Let us then approach God, God's throne of grace, with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Interesting, the word um, confidence here, um, parousia, doesn't just mean to be you know, confident in something, but it means to be bold and have the freedom to speak out loud. So you can enter the throne room of God. First of all, Jesus paved the way. He's already there. He's praying for you. So you can go in there as well and with boldness, find mercy. Find the things that you need in those moments. Now you may have to wait, and you have to wait patiently, and we're so good at that, aren't we? But the point is, is that there are these, see, here's the thing, and I think we forget this. We think that we have to learn how to say it the right way. That if I just, if I just said it the right way, then God's going to answer it. That's, that's just magic, okay? Don't, don't believe that. You have to start from a position, one, that God is good, that Jesus is interceding on your behalf, and yeah, you may have to wait, and no, you may not get the exact answer that you want, 
that you want in that particular moment, but the point is, is that Jesus himself is interceding on your behalf, and you have the right, because of him, to enter the throne room and access the throne itself. Wow! If that doesn't knock you on your spiritual keister, I don't know what will. That's a big deal. And it gives us a reason to actually pray for people. You don't have to be afraid of prayer. It's not you doing it anyway. If there's going to be a miracle, don't take credit for it. Then you don't have to take blame if it doesn't happen. It's all up to God. And keep this in mind, please. You look at the disciples Jesus had and they stumbled and bumbled through everything. Just like you. They're not so different than us. And you may feel when you pray that there's a lot of trial and error. That's okay. You're learning. It's supposed to be that way. Those disciples, they didn't get it all right the first time either. And that learning curve might be steep. Sometimes I think my learning curve is so steep that I need carabiners to hook ropes to because I'm going straight up. I feel that way a lot. So what I'm trying to say is that if you're, if you're learning how to pray, you're in good company. <laughs> There's been a lot of people who have gone before you and they've stumbled their way through it. And, and I really think that that's an important thing for us to keep in mind. You have to think of it like this. I, I really think this is true. <clears throat> Those of you who, have, been, who have, have kids or have been around kids, you get excited when they start to crawl. And then they start doing that bounce thing. And then eventually they start pulling themselves up on stuff. This is called cruising, I learned. And they start cruising around. Life's over by that, by, at that point, by the way. I mean, because you, now you're guarding against everything that they might stick in their mouth or whatever. And then they start taking those steps. And we sit there and we go, yes! We get all excited about that. I remember our daughter Elizabeth, um, she was real young, I don't remember the age. Um, she one day literally got up and walked across the living room and then didn't walk again for another like six months. I didn't want you all should be happy with that. <laughs> and then when she learned how to do it, oh my word, we walked everywhere. And we loved stairs, by the way. Have you had kids like that? Up and down the stairs. But the point is, is that when we see that, we get excited for it. We don't get exasperated by that. We get excited because they're actually learning and we can see the growth. And, and you who are evil, how do you feel about it? How much more does God get excited when we're learning our steps too? So if you're trying to learn how to pray, not only do you have somebody interceding for you, you've got a God who loves you who is still cheering you on. Isn't that cool? Because you don't have to be afraid now because you've got a, the greatest cheerleader of all time. The one who wants you to succeed in this, wants to teach you. And, and yes, there's going to be trial and error. And yes, there's going to be places where it doesn't happen. That isn't failure, that's learning. There's either success or learning. There isn't really failure. I don't think there's anything that you can pray for and really screw up your relationship with God. Now, he may have to come teach you something new, but the point is, is that when you're learning how to pray, you can trust him, that he's going to teach you how to do that. He wants you to know how to do this.
Now, he loves helping you learn to interact with him. And I've been thinking about this for a while. Um, But it seems to me that um, as our church has emerged out of pandemic conditions, that's what I'm going to call it, we're entering a new season in the life of our church. And I was, I was asking the Lord about this, and I really got the idea that um, over the last year or two, we were kind of in this season of forced rest. Really not a whole lot we could do. Uh, there was a whole lot of, of uh, activities that we could do. And Anyway. And I, and I really got that sense that the Lord was saying, you've been in the season of rest. You are now entering a season of learning. Okay. God, what do you want us to learn? What is it that's on your heart? You know, this, this tribe of people who get together every Sunday at Tulsa Ballet and they call themselves Thrive Church and they love you and, and they worship and what is it that you want them to learn because this is your church? And I believe that he's trying to teach us what it means to really interact with him to really be present because I, 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 love, I love big worship services. I like the music and um, I like the feeling of it all. But I don't know about you, I'm tired of the mechanics. We don't, we don't have that here and I'm so thankful that we don't do that. If God isn't present on Sunday morning, why are we doing this? Let's just shut our doors and go do something else. But every Sunday, God chooses to meet with us. And I, and I feel his presence in the room, and I really feel like God is saying, that's what I want you to learn. I want you to learn what it's like to be with me. And it's not something to be scared of, but it's something that's really cool and and ultimately, you are going to enjoy it. There's one other thing that I want to I mention here. John records two other things um, in this prayer. And I just, I want to read these to you. I don't, I want it on the screen because I want you to hear this. Because he prays for his, um, his disciples and for the rest of us, but he prays for two things. Here's the first thing he prays for. He says, I have given them uh, the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So he prays for unity. That's the first thing, that we would be one. He, he wants us to dis, uh, demonstrate oneness. The oneness that Jesus had with God, he wants us to demonstrate that oneness. Boy, that seems really challenging today, doesn't it? Especially in today's world with so many divisions but I think that leads us to the second thing that he prayed for. A couple verses later, he says, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they 
know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So he prays for unity, but ultimately that unity comes from love. I mean real love. The kind of love that you still have for someone even though you disagree with them. I categorically reject this idea that if you disagree with what I'm saying, you hate me. I don't think that's true at all, and yet that seems to be where we're going. It's difficult, but it's the only way to move forward without destroying each other, I think. I think that's important. A friend of mine um, was telling me about this in his, in his church. He pastors another church. And uh, he said um, that his, some people in his organization wanted a new vision coming out of the pandemic, a new vision. And I've been thinking about this um, for Thrive, too. And, and the real question is, can I, hey, what are we after here? What is it that we're moving towards? And what direction are we going? And, and I, for the longest time, I'm like, I have no idea. Lord, what, what, what do you want to do? And, and the Lord's saying, hey, you're, you're going into a season of learning. Great. What does that mean? And it seems to me that whenever we talk about things like vision, or we talk about mission, we talk about the great commission, Right? What does it say? Go therefore, make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them all that I have commanded, and lo, I will be with you to the end of the age, right? You've heard this before, right? You've heard that from this pulpit before? Yeah. So go, make disciples, baptize and teach. You've heard me talk about this. The only verb in there is make disciples. Everything else is a participle. You make disciple by going, baptizing, and teaching. But here's the thing, and this is the thing that I think is really important. If God wants us to go into a season of learning, Isn't it interesting that the Great Commission talks about teaching? What are we teaching people? What's the command? What is the command that God gives us? Well, it's interesting because um, in a a couple of different um, of the accounts, a lawyer, a religious leader, stands up and asks Jesus the question. You know what the question is, don't you? What's the greatest of all the commandments? What does Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And then he makes this stunning statement. Oh, and the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You've heard this, right? Yes, nod your head so I know you're awake. Yeah, okay, you've heard this. And then he says, all of the law and all of the prophets rest on these two ideas. Now please understand, in Jewish culture, Old Testament is divided into two parts. The law and the prophets. So what Jesus is saying, the entire Old Testament is wrapped up in love God, love people. That's it. Bottom line. Now this is interesting to me because I have to admit that sometimes when I think about going and making disciples, just for the sake of making disciples, I'm I'm not really sure that's motivating for me. And I think about that. I'm like, what is it that I'm actually asking people to do? Because if you, if you simply get people to say yes to something, whatever it is, that doesn't change the world. But people who love God and love other people, that will change the world. Because that's hard. And that's what the world desperately needs. Now I'm interested. I'm really interested in making disciples who have learned how to love God and love people. The question is, is how on earth can you, how can you help someone else love God and love people when you don't know how to love God and love people yourself. 
Maybe that's where we need to start learning. How do we learn how to love God and love people? And then how do we go and and make more? How do we do that? That becomes the thing that I think we're, we're, we're going to learn. I've been thinking about this for a long, long time. You want to change the world? You find disciples who love God and love people. And I know this because there were 12 disciples who were prayed for who went and changed the world. Just 12. You and I are here because of 12 people. And Jesus prayed for them. And he continues to pray for the rest of us. So what if that is our vision? What if that is our north star? That we're learning to love God and love people in order to teach others how to love God and love people. And then we, can, we actually fulfill both the commandment and the commission. You want to talk about efficiency, let's go, right? I like that idea an awful lot. And what if we were unified around those two ideas? What if that was really the season that we're in as we're learning how to do this and we're learning how to do this together? And Thrive will start by learning how to be in the presence of God so that we can be the presence of God to somebody else. Love God, love people. But you gotta be in the presence in order to be the presence. Oh my gosh, does the world need people who have his presence? To be carriers of the presence of God. When you walk into a room, do you realize that's what you're carrying? The presence of God? That when you walk into the grocery store and that cashier has had a really lousy day, You carry the presence of God and you can change that in a second. When you walk in to get your coffee, when you get your latte, I can tell you right now that that barista probably had a pretty lousy day. You can always tell by the look on their face that or they haven't had their own coffee yet. But still, the point is you can tell when something's wrong and you are the carrier of the presence of God. You have not just an obligation but a privilege to change that person in that moment. You, you have that. And that's what Jesus was praying for. Oh God, I pray for them that you would not take them out of the world, but you would protect them from the evil one so that they can go and do this. So they can go and be the presence. I want you in the presence so that you can be the presence. That's where we're going. That's it. It's that simple. Now there's ways that we're gonna learn how to do that over the next coming months, probably year, I don't know. I'm so excited to be in his presence in order to be his presence because God knows people need it. And sometimes the people in your own family need it. And sometimes people in your own small group need it. And sometimes people in your neighborhood need it. And sometimes people in your workplace need it. And sometimes strangers you have never seen before and have circumstances to be with them need for you to carry that presence of God. You get to do that. And it's risky, but oh man, is it fun. I remember the other day, I had a circumstance like that where I had a, a chance to talk to someone and just be encouraging. And I literally felt like God was saying, isn't this fun? Uh-huh, yeah. I do this all day, every day. And God is very quietly saying, Stick with me, kid. There's a whole lot more of that where that came from. So you want to know our vision? Be in his presence. To be his presence. That's where we're going. I invite you to to join me in that. Um, But here's the thing. 
and I'm gonna, I'm gonna state this out loud. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna declare it. <clears throat> if no one else goes with me, I'm still going to do it. I hope you all will, because I don't want you to miss out. That's okay, I'll have all the fun. I don't mind, but I'd, I, I would like to share the fun. Be in his presence in order to be his presence. Hey God, we're gathered here in your name and I know you're in the room. I felt it the entire time. <laughs> we, we were just singing, Lord, that, you know, would you meet us here again and then we declared in song that the Lord is in this place and I believe that you honored that, that you've been here. In fact, probably you were waiting for us. You know what's going on here. And God, it's so good to be collectively in your presence and worshiping and singing songs and really feeling that, that you're up to something that we get to be a part of. Oh, man, Lord. My prayer is that for every person who's seated here that there's something inside of them that might just be resonating. Maybe it's just a little tiny bit. Oh, God, help them to pay attention to that. And God, I also pray that as the days go on, they would feel that sense of boldness. That there's, there's, a, there's a reason why you gave them access to the throne. And that Jesus himself is interceding on their behalf and that might, might change their perspective on, on the people around them. Maybe, maybe there's a relationship that has just gone sour but you have access, but they have access to, to your throne. Or, or maybe there's a set of circumstances that just seem insurmountable, but nothing is impossible with you, and we know that, and, and what you're saying is, oh, come to the throne, I've got, I've got stuff for you. And maybe, maybe there's a person, God, I'm, I'm just thinking about the person who's just bored with life and needs some type of an adventure, They've gotten into this routine, this perfunctory day in and day out kind of grind and, and they have access to the throne now and, and they get to carry your presence into places that they never dreamed was possible and, and you're inviting them to that, to this adventure. And I, ah, Lord, for all these people, I just, I just want to pray that you would shake us right down to our core of who we are and help us to understand how big your vision and your mission actually is. And, and we state it simply as love God and love people, but oh God, we know that that is really hard to do without you. So would you fill us, Holy Spirit, with that type of love that would generate that energy that, that we need to be the people of God, to be the people that you called us to be, to be the disciples who are trying to live out, to walk out this beautiful calling that you make to us. To love you and to love others. So I pray, Lord, that as we sing, that your Holy Spirit would be very active. And that you would, you would touch who you want to touch. And that we would respond. So I'm going to thank you in advance, Lord, for what you're going to do today and in the future. And oh God, I'm just gonna thank you for letting us be a part of it. Oh man, I'm just so happy that we can do that. Grateful to you, Lord. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Would you stand and let's sing.